All right, welcome into Monsters vs. Men, the bargain basement of the Monster Podcasting Airwaves. Today is a little bit different than our usual episode because it's just me. Alex is not here. I I think Alex was a little intimidated to sit down with two pretentious nerds together in one place, Chris. So he couldn't (laughs) couldn't make it. (laughs) But I have the chance to sit down with Chris Stewartson one-on-one to discuss his recent one out of five star our culture review of Godzilla versus Kong. Chris, welcome back to the podcast. Now we had you on to sing praises, sing the praises of the Gamera trilogy. So I wanted to bring you back to denounce Legendary's Godzilla versus Kong. Thanks for joining me, man. Ah, uh, no problem at all. It's lovely to be back. <laughs> well, I don't have a set agenda really today, and I'm I'm willing to go whatever direction we deem fit but i responded to uh, your review on twitter a little bit uh and, and someone reached out and was like man i would love to hear you all just have a chat about this and i was like okay well let's do it um <laughs> now there's there's po- points in your review that i agree with and some pieces that i disagree with and sure. just so you know where i'm coming from i'm at about a three out of five stars with this film um i mean i know <laughs> you probably I probably rate films a little higher than you to begin with anyway, maybe just generally on my scale. I, for some reason, just never get too low or too high. With mm. my, they're all kind of in that range. Um, but I want to start with some place where I know we definitely agree. And, and here's something that you write in your review. You say, if you spent any time on the internet lately, you've seen reviews of Godzilla versus Kong pointing out that the human drama isn't any good. I'm sure you'll have also seen a barrage of comments from fans saying something to the effect of, This isn't why we watch these films. I find myself agreeing with the consensus of many critics in that, yes, the human drama is awful, but I find the fan reaction particularly frustrating. Now, I have my own reasons. That was the end quote there. I have my own reasons why I view that as frustrating as well. But I want to hear from you first. Can you expand a bit on this point about why this sort of fan reaction is frustrating? Sure, absolutely. Um, And I think Ultimately, the reaction from some fans has frustrated me because these films can be so much more. You know, I don't think it's unreasonable to want good writing, good characters, when we've seen that the Godzilla series has often delivered on that front. I think, you know, without sounding like too much of a gatekeeper, I somewhat have to question how, if at all, these fans have consumed these movies. Because how can you watch some of them and conclude that there's nothing beyond monsters hitting each other? You know, and I've seen... Mm -hmm both fans and, you know, even some, you know, film writers and academics that I follow saying things like, well, of course it's not Shakespeare. What did you expect? And I think, (laughs) well, I expected more because, you know, even discounting the Toho films, Gareth Edwards' Godzilla uh, from Mm -hmm. 2014 managed to give us more than, you know, just CGI spectacle. And I think that actually, I know, as I said, I don't think it's unreasonable to want a little bit more from these movies. So when I hear, you know, the critics saying, the human drama isn't any good. And I hear fans trying to refute that by going, oh, well, I don't watch them for them for the humans. Oh, you know, I think, well, why wouldn't you though? <laughs> so, Absolutely. Yeah. No, it's self-sabotaging. It really, honestly, it's like, why can't you expect both, right? You can have yeah. great human drama and you can have great monster action at the same time. Yeah. Uh, now you mentioned 2014 Gareth Edwards Godzilla. Um, and, and you point to that as an example that these films, even these modern Godzilla films, mm. can have meaning. Can you compare and contrast your view of that Godzilla with this one a bit? Sure, yeah. So I think God- Gareth Edwards' Godzilla is really interesting for a number of reasons. Um, for starters, it's clearly 
his film. Mm-hmm. Um, if you watch his uh, 2010 film Monsters, uh, which I think is a wonderful movie, there's a clear visual style and you know from the ground perspective, as it were, that's also front and center in Godzilla. And you know, considering that this, you know, Godzilla 2014 and indeed all of the MonsterVerse films have been you know big tentpole blockbuster movies that would have undoubtedly had God knows how much oversight and you know right. executive. Uh, decision making going on the fact that i you know you can look at godzilla gareth edwards godzilla and kind of see oh his visual style coming over so you can you know identify it as his film Mm -hmm. i think is i think that's quite significant um and i think in that visual style i think we get to see that gareth edwards understood godzilla's ultimate meaning that godzilla is a conduit for you know, collective trauma. Now, obviously, Godzilla, uh, as a character and as the 1954 film, speaks directly to and from a Japanese perspective. You know, as as we all know, uh, Godzilla emerged as a symbol of the of a number of national grievances, from you know Japan's defeat and its changing post-war identity, mm-hmm. Hiroshima and Nagasaki, and of course the Lucky Dragon Number no. Five incident. Um, and in Edward's film, there are a number of scenes which I think evoke recent traumatic events. So when Godzilla comes ashore in Honolulu, for example, and the subsequent tsunami that that triggers, I think that forcefully evokes things like the 20, uh, the 2004 Boxing Day tsunami, which, you know, when I was a kid, I remember seeing footage of that on the news and it stuck with me. Uh, and obviously more recently, the, the tragic 3.11 disaster. Yeah. And then later on in the movie, when the male Muto uses its EMP attack to knock out couple of uh, fighter jets from the air we see one of them uh, in that from the ground perspective that i mentioned mm. earlier smash into a skyscraper and obviously you, you can't help but look at that and think of you know 9-11 and so i think in its visual language gareth edwards godzilla kind of spoke to disasters both natural and man-made that have etched themselves onto our collective consciousness and so i think that's a wonderful expansion of what godzilla can mean insofar as he's a conduit for shared trauma. Yeah. Um, and I think by comparison, when we start to look at King of the Monsters and Godzilla versus Kong, I think to me, they miss the mark by comparison. Um, in the case of King of the Monsters, I think Mike Doherty and the other filmmakers tried very hard to signal that they understood Godzilla. And I think in turn, they went so far with that, that it ended up being quite clumsy. And in some cases, quite offensive um would you say like with that would you say like even things just like the uh pretty much ripping tracks and making them bigger and and louder (laughs) you know from ifakube's score is is that type of thing over the top to you as well like it's kind of handled clumsily i think uh, i think my my issues were less with the soundtrack Mm -hmm. um i mean i think Ben Akriri did a did an interesting soundtrack. That God, that sounds <laughs> that sounds like <laughs> such a such an insult. Uh, no, I think like I think his uh, his soundtrack is is good. Um, I yeah. think it's a little too drum heavy for for my taste, just because I think mm-hmm. sometimes the the melodies get kind of drowned out in the heavy drum. Um, but I think what I kind of more responded negatively to were things like you know having a U.S. military base called uh-huh. Castle Bravo. You know, you think. Okay, uh, yeah, Castle Bravo was a direct inspiration for the original Godzilla. Okay, I, I get that. But to include it, I mean, for God's sake, that nuclear test directly led to the death of one Japanese fisherman, uh, Kichi Kobayama, and it 
contributed to the permanent dislocation of the residents of Bikini Atoll. You know, that, that was a real event that had real grave consequences. And I think right. kind of calling a US military base that in your Godzilla movie to signal that, oh, look, guys, I know the history of the films. It's, it just uh-huh. seems distasteful, especially later on when, you know, you have that shot where Godzilla is flanked by US fighter jets. This just, <laughs> that leaves a, a bit of a bad taste in my mouth. And then right. on the flip side, you have Godzilla versus Kong, where the filmmakers went in the complete opposite direction of kind of going, we're not going to try with this because... <laughs> You know, recently, uh, Adam Wingard, the director, in, a, in an interview, he said that politics were out the window. Now, in that interview for Total Film, which I think came out last month, uh, he was talking about how everybody has been cooped up inside because of the pandemic, and I think everybody wants to just let it all out, and this fight between Godzilla and Kong allows them to do it, and so politics are out the window. And okay, fine, you can say that, but I think there's something that's a bit, that again, leaves a bad taste in my mouth when you have an American director mm-hmm. making a movie about a Japanese IP, which yeah. is permanently associated with Japan's experience of nuclear war, then saying, oh yeah, politics are out the window. You know, and obviously, I know that Toho's films, not every one of them, you know, is designed to be a stark comment on the bomb, as it were. Right. But again, there's something about an American director saying that about this property that just feels tasteless. And, and other people, I'm sure, have uh, articulated that in, in much more sharp terms and precise terms than I have there. Mm hmm. So I think it definitely, it definitely feels a little clumsy, right? Yeah, now, I, yeah. I, I think, yeah. I, and looking at the progression of of Godzilla films, I mean, you're right. Not every film has to have this political message. Yeah. Uh, but I do think, from an American perspective, it's something to take into consideration when speaking about a film that you're about to release. Yeah. Right? Or yeah. even just when crafting this film. So I, I think you're right there. Yeah, I can see that to you. That's a, a good point. And. Um, you know, I, I hear lots of people talking about um, how, oh, well, it's just a fun movie. It's just a silly, you know, fun popcorn movie. And I think, uh-huh. okay, but that doesn't mean it can't strive to be anything more than that. Because I think, you know, when you look beyond this genre, because obviously the, 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 the obvious one to look to is King Kong versus Godzilla, the 62 film. And I'll, and I'll talk about that in a moment. But I think looking beyond this genre, there are a number of fun, really fun, heartwarming movies that are, that are also just as as intelligent and as uh, as say politically charged as a quote unquote serious movie right. you know if we look at something like uh, Jacques Tati's uh, playtime from 1967 that's such yeah. a wonderful <laughs> wonderful movie that's really funny and it's uh-huh. it just refuses to be cynical about anything and yet I think that has a huge amount to say about the banality of modern living and and the kind of the, the how strange our rituals are you know, the things we do every day. And similarly, you have Le Cage au Fall, which is really, really funny, but it also is a landmark piece of queer cinema. And, and, and coming back to Japan, mm-hmm. you know, we look at the salaryman comedies, uh, obviously the formula of which the original King Kong versus Godzilla used. There's a film from 64 called uh, You Too Can Succeed, and it has Tadao Takashima, Ichiro Arashima, Miehama, and 
uh, Frankie Sakai. You know, it's got all these fabulous <laughs> big names in it. And it's really, really funny. It's, you know, laugh oh, out man. loud funny. And I need to that, check that out. Yeah, that sounds uh, it, awesome. <laughs> it, last time I checked, it's it's on YouTube in its entirety nice. um, right, with subtitles. So I would, do recommend that. And that has a huge amount to say about westernization, American influence. Uh, again, the kind of the odd, difficult politics of office life. Mm-hmm. So, for you know, to kind of go, oh, it's just a fun movie. Don't worry about it. It's like I, I get that it's a fun movie, but that doesn't mean it can't be more than that. And yeah. um, and I think because of what Gareth Edwards' film was, I think now I'm I, I just I'm at a stage where I I need more from these movies. Um, mm. If if these movies had with Gareth Edwards, if they just started off as silly, you know, kind of over the top action, whatever, I maybe wouldn't be as kind of harsh on Godzilla versus Kong, but because it's like I curse Gareth Edwards for giving me standards um, <laughs> in this, in, for these movies, because again, it's, it's just thinking back of like what could have been if the tone and style that he had established had been adhered to a little close, uh, a little more closely than um, perhaps the ways that these films have instead developed. Yeah. I, so let me, let me give you, a couple of of points here in Godzilla versus Kong that mm. I think do help. It doesn't necessarily. I wouldn't say it gives it meaning, but I, I do say it, it, it makes it feel a little bit. Um, it, it's not commentary, but, but it made me think a little bit of the original King Kong versus Godzilla, yeah. just in, in the level of self awareness and maybe critique of itself um, that I thought was interesting. The first one is whenever Godzilla at the beginning of Godzilla versus Kong is attacking the apex uh, facility mm. and you have this huge Godzilla roar. And then the edit, the edit at that point goes directly to like a CNN cut broadcast. And the edit is done and the sound design is done in such a way that it blends together Godzilla's roar with like breaking news from CNN mm. in a way that made me think like, Okay, like they, they are kind of joking with our expectations about what we're looking at uh, when we're watching the news. Uh, it reminded me a little bit of an edit that we might see from King Kong versus Godzilla, uh, where we had some of those very clever edits uh, that, that would just cut automatically. and It would be mm-hmm. something so absurd um, that you have to think about the implications of what you were watching. Mm-hmm. Uh, an- another one is when the Bernie character, he... Um, he he walks into that room where we ultimately see Mecha Godzilla and he shouts and he's like, This is so big. And then he literally says, It's so stupid. <laughs> and I was like, <laughs> I was like, you can't get any more like explicit than that, like just how stupid this scenario is. And yeah. he just says, It's so stupid. <laughs> and, and then uh, Yeah, yeah, go for it. Go, go I, for it. Chris. I think- at that point, I'm kind of I'm in two minds because I too to- <laughs> I totally understand what you mean about kind of that kind of self-referential nature of kind of re- recognizing how absurd the situation uh-huh. is. Uh-huh. But I kind of at the same time I feel like <laughs> is is that like does why that not make it? Does that make it better? <laughs> I yeah, to, to, yeah cuz i mean to me that reads as them kind of laughing at the movie they are making rather than laughing with it you I know see, i think yeah. 
when you use, I think because with the, the the news stuff that you mentioned earlier, I think if you'd had a focus on that mm-hmm. and the focus on how these events are told to the public and how they can be sensationalized, maybe that would yeah. have been really interesting and had uh, you know had the news and how these how these monsters are being reported on be a bigger thing for this narrative in the same way that in King Kong versus Godzilla, because that movie is talking about Japan's contemporary TV culture. Yeah. Obviously TV plays a massive role in the movie and ratings play a massive role in the movie. And those things are fully integrated with the monster action. Mm-hmm. And, and so I think for the, for Godzilla versus Kong to kind of at the, at that moment go, whoa, isn't this silly? I kind of feel like, what tone were you going for here? You know, do you want mm. us to laugh at the movie? Do you want us to laugh with the movie? I, well, it, it felt very confused tonally for me. It reminds me of, uh, I think I know you've read notes on camp, right? Uh, mm. Susan Sontag, uh, where she talks, if I remember correctly, she speaks about two different types of campiness. You know, you have like the campiness that is so absurd um, in a sense that it's actually more sincere. It's not self-aware, but it's more sincere sincere in just how it goes for it, full out. But then mm. you have another type of, of camp, which is a little bit more self-aware, but sometimes that sort of camp doesn't work, right? Because it's not as sincere uh, because it's self-aware. Is, is that yeah. kind of what you're saying here, <laughs> in a sense? Yeah, actually, I've, God, that's a, a really good point. I should have just turned to Susan Sontag because she, <laughs> she would have honestly just you know put it across much better than I could. Because I think that kind of making a you know it's kind of why I don't like watching say the you know the the asylum movies you know Mega Shark versus Giant Octopus and stuff like that uh-huh. because that those movies are aiming for crap, right? And they're not trying to. <laughs> You know they're not they're not even trying, and I kind of feel like with Godzilla versus Kong. Again, what are you aiming for here? If you are aiming for big, dumb, and stupid, what's the point? Well, you know you've you've got these two characters that have so much thematic, cultural, spiritual, symbolic significance. You know, and can can be played with in in such a variety of different ways. Why? Why would you settle for going? Yeah, we're going to make this as dumb as possible. You think? Well, why? Well, <laughs> yeah, this could yeah. have been so much more. <laughs> well, let's let's talk about the critical consensus to this film then, uh, and I think it goes a little bit hand in hand with what you were saying already. Yeah. O- overall, critics actually seem to be liking Godzilla versus Kong for the most part. Even mm. even uh, a couple of uh, commentators that I wouldn't have thought to like this film have liked it like Steve rifle um, surprisingly mm. kind of liked this film. Yeah. Uh, and, and I was, you know, trying to think, you know, why might this be the case? And I'm wondering if it's just expectations, you know, versus reality in, in, in a case, yeah. right. Where uh, they don't have the expectation or maybe the same level of expectation that you have from mm. this film going in with, with, you know, the history of Godzilla they are just going in to see um, a big monkey fight a big lizard and <laughs> see some great visuals. Yeah. Um, I, I, now I would argue there, there is more there than that. Uh, not a ton, but I would argue there is more than that. And I would argue that it's certainly fun if that's what you're looking for. Yeah. So in a sense, say like this film did achieve 
I think this film did achieve what it set out to achieve. And I think a lot of critics, that's kind of what they're looking at, right? Did this film set out to achieve what it wanted to? And if it wanted to achieve that action uh, CGI spectacle, um, that's pr- great for the big screen, right? Fun with audiences. Then yeah, like they, like they achieved, they achieved that. Um, and so I think a lot of critics would rate it for doing what it's set to do. But yeah. what you're questioning is if that's the right motive to have in the first place. Yeah, I think that's a really good uh, summation, honestly, because I think I, I can certainly understand why you know people are having fun with it. Because if you do go in and you kind of you know you're not expecting it to be, uh, you know, a, a big uh, movie with a lot to say uh, in terms of subtext or anything like that, then I think you can just kind of switch off and have fun with it. Um, I, yeah, I think to an extent the movie is a victim of my own expectations as much as it is its own problems. Mm-hmm. Um, and I can, you know, I think that's probably where a lot of the, the positive reactions from, from several critics are coming from, yeah. um, you know, and I think, you know, you can have fun with things like the, the Hong Kong fight. Uh, it, you know, it's not necessarily, it wasn't that impressive in my estimation, just because again, I look back at the visual style of Godzilla 2014 and, and the fight with the Mutos in that movie. And that appeals to me much more than the, the kind of the Tom and Jerry antics that we see in uh, in in Hong Kong, as much as that was a you know very colourful fight, and that you know probably contributed to why people have reacted positively towards it. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, yeah, I think ultimately I, I I fall back on on my issues again with with motive and why would you choose to do this when you can do other things? Right. And again, that again that's my issue with with. Uh, what I expected versus what I got. And who knows, it might be a case that in a couple of years time, I can watch this divorced of expectations in the moment and all the current discourse and hype. And I might be able to have more fun with it. And indeed with all of the MonsterVerse films, it might be the case that in 10 years time when we're, you know, separated from the, the, all the hype and all the mm. attention that they're getting right now, it might be easier at that point to say, okay, well, here's some, what this movie might mean. Uh, you know, right. I, I always go back to there's a quote from Toby Hooper that he gave in a in an, an interview where he says he he doesn't believe that um, obviously he's passed on now, but at the time he was saying he didn't believe that you it was something like you only find out what your movie meant five years after you make it or ten years after you make it something like that. And I really agree with what he said there about kind of you know once you have that benefit of distance between release and however many years later when you're looking back on it i think it's much easier then to actually situate it amongst everything else that was happening because you're not in the moment and it might be the case that as with these films maybe i'll look back on them in 10 years and go okay i can see what this movie might mean um yeah or or how it fit a certain moment in time right yeah yeah how it reflects back on when it was released in its history, you know, like a lot has to be said also just for the time this movie is being released. Um, mm-hmm. When it comes to that critical consensus, um, this movie as is being released at a time when we haven't had movies like this in quite some time due to the pandemic. So mm-hmm. I think that also definitely contributes. Now I want to read one more excerpt from your review to you. Um, sure. You say, I think there are a great number of Toho films which are fun and lighthearted, like Ebra, Horror of the Deep, or Son of Godzilla. 
But what these films also have are endearing characters, arresting stories, visual flair, memorable soundtracks, and meaning. I don't think Godzilla vs. Kong has any of those things. End quote. <laughs> now, <laughs> I love Ebra and I love Son of Godzilla. And, and when I think about those films, I do think about their characters, visuals, soundtracks. Absolutely. Um, but when I think of those films, I'm honestly not thinking about engaging plot lines or deeper themes. And maybe that's why I think a bit more positively about GVK is that mm. I see that there are a couple of characters that I can cling on to. Some of them are handled very poorly. Absolutely. <laughs> there are some visuals that I appreciate the soundtrack. Uh, I'm, I'm mixed on, right. But, but there's some things that I can cling on to and appreciate about it. And yeah. so I'm wondering if there are any characters that stood out to you as carrying any sort of emotional weight in this film. Uh, well, if I'm honest, there, there weren't other than Kong himself, because uh-huh. as you know, as I'm sure we'll talk about this later, this is Kong's movie. Yeah, you know, it, absolutely. It's, as as much as you know, even though Godzilla appears first in the title, this is Kong's movie. I mean, Godzilla is practically an afterthought. That's true. Um, that's true. And I, I kind of disliked a lot of the characters. You know, you you either have people who are not who are just not nice people, like mm-hmm. the the Hollow Earth scientist, because. I mean, for the love of God, why? Why do you like other other than the kind of the the kind of clumsily handled backstory of oh, my brother got minced by the gravity in the Hollow Earth, and I I want to go back there now. Mm-hmm. Oh, all right, okay, <laughs> but but okay, so you're gonna and then you have the really other, you know you have Doctor Andrews, the the woman who's supposed to be the the Kong Whisperer. But then, you know, she says a lot about how, oh, it's too risky to move Godzilla because, uh, Kong, because Godzilla will come. But then with very little persuasion. Yeah, she's, very she's little very, persuasion. She, she's quite happy to take Kong by boat, nonetheless. Like, by boat, you are actively putting him in the in the territory of Godzilla. And later on in the movie, they transport Kong via, via um, helicopters. And you think, why don't you just do that from the beginning? <laughs> and you know so yeah. and, and as a side note i should so i think also yeah i'll talk to about that in a moment so basically i think all of the characters in this movie are kind of pricks to kong except gia the little girl everybody in this movie just kind of is horrible to him whether it's the hollow earth scientist using him for a big plot hole that i'll get to in a second or whether it's Doctor Andrews, who even though she's called the Kong Whisperer, really does she does she really have Kong's inter- best interests at heart? If she's that willing to go, yeah, sure, let's let's take him halfway around the world, <laughs> and and then there's the thing of the the plot hole I mentioned. Uh-huh. Now maybe there's something I missed here, um, and obviously if there is, please for the love of God correct me because this has been bugging me. Why was Kong needed? You know the Hollow Earth scientist. I've forgotten his name, makes it out like, you know, he needs Kong as a guide because obviously that's where all the the Titans come from and therefore we need to have Kong so he can lead us back there. Okay, but then when they get to the Arctic, there's a pre-existing Hollow Earth launch site. So you didn't need him to tell you how to get there. You already had a launch site. The only thing you needed was the Apex vehicle to take you down there. And then... You know, it's not even a case of going. Oh well, Kong needed to lead us the way down to the to the Hollow Earth because, as we see, it's just kind of a straight shoot down. 
Mm-hmm. So why was Kong needed? Why, like, what was the point? What? Yeah. Not the. I, the not sure. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I just think. Wait, hang on. It was when the the you know the the title card came up telling us where we were, and it said launch site, and I was like, "You're having a laugh. You're telling me you already knew how to get there." <laughs> so yeah. every everybody in this movie is just a prick to Kong. Uh, including Godzilla, <laughs> I, I think I could have liked Gia as a character uh-huh. if she'd been allowed more screen time and development. Uh, but I think with Gia, the, there's some, I think, kind of uncomfortable uh, things that go with that because, you know, she is said to be of the Iwi people right. and in a really kind of offhanded line, which comes across as quite, quite distasteful. They said, oh yeah, they were all kind of wiped out and I rescued yeah. her. And that kind of has, you know, more than a trace of kind of a white savior complex to it. But then also on top of that, like the Iwi people are are real. They're, they're, no, they're, they're not fictitious. They weren't made up for this movie. Right. They're real people. Even a cursory Google search can, can show you that. So, for, you know, to kind of take a, a real group of people or a real, you know, real term from um, Maori, you know, Polynesian culture, and just go, yeah, well, all right. So there was the Iwi people, and then they're all dead now. She is the one left, and I adopted her. It just feels like, you know, and this is putting it really lightly. I think it's really tasteless, yeah. um, you know, and that's again putting it ex- in extremely light terms. And I just feel like every time they could have done something with Gia developing her making her an interesting character because she's the only one who's not a prick to kong they <laughs> they drop the ball yeah it feels like uh you know the hollow earth scientist nathan something uh he yeah. he develops some sort of admiration for kong throughout but you know he starts off scared of kong yeah. um and gia then became becomes kind of uh, a mirror and a voice for kong it, mm. She doesn't necessarily have her own character, as you say. She doesn't develop much. Uh, so I, I would agree with you there. Yeah, and uh, it's a shame because because sorry is. to interrupt, but because I think how interesting would that have been to have had this? You know, if they'd really zeroed in on Jia and Kong and the relationship that they had, and 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 through each one of them, she develops, he develops. That would have been so cool. But I I just don't think they realize that. No, I, I, I'm with you. And I think this film and my biggest my biggest critiques of it are some of the missed opportunities. I mean, you mentioned in your review Ren Sarazawa's character. Which, oh god. Yeah, I mean that was <laughs> that's pretty awful. And you can tell like that has been cut. I'm sure there was more there and, and that has been cut um for whatever reason. And then I also I also do think I would have liked to see more development like you were saying with Gia and Kong and, and that relationship. Mm. And I definitely would have liked to have seen more of Godzilla's perspective. This is a Kong movie, right? Yeah. Uh, and I would have liked to have seen more of Godzilla's side of things because he does come across as angry and kind of a bully in a sense, which mm. my biggest issue with that isn't the fact that he's a bad guy. <laughs> I, I, I don't care about that. Um, or he's the antagonist of this film. It's the fact that this hasn't been how Godzilla has been portrayed in the other yes. MonsterVerse films, um, which which did rub me a little bit of the, the wrong way. 
But with that said, let's let's go back to this Son of Godzilla comparison because I do think Kong and Godzilla are the main characters of this film, just like uh, Godzilla and Minya are the main characters of Son of Godzilla. In that film, we see an anthropomorphized version of Godzilla that, for me, carries the emotional weight. Um, now, my favorite cut of that film is actually the cha- Champion Festival cut because, to me, it manages to streamline the plot a bit and move us mm. towards those monster moments that I just find so enjoyable in Son of Godzilla. And that's that's how I see GVK as well. I've, I've heard a lot of people asking um, you know, for director's cuts of this film. There's apparently five hours of footage. Oh, I'm <laughs> kind of of the opinion. Yeah, I'm of the opinion of, no, like, I, I, I'm okay with a streamlined plot here. Um, because I think it just moves things along a little bit quicker. And yeah, I I honestly don't know if, if adding more screen time would be the best for this movie. But to me in this film, Kong is that emotional center of the film. It starts with Kong and it ends with Kong. Kong is kind of in this displaced home at the beginning. And then he finds his way home, hollow earth at the end. Do you agree that Kong is the emotional center of this film? Yes, yeah, absolutely. Um, This is very much Kong's film. And I think that's ultimately a bit sad at the same time because I think he's somewhat wasted. You know, Kong is a character here, obviously, but what's his story? What's his goal? And the film has so much to juggle and so doesn't really focus on anything in that much depth that I think Kong sort of gets lost in the middle of it. You know, if anything, you know, you could call this film Kong has a really bad day featuring Godzilla. <laughs> you know, it's, it's just one problem after another for him, you know, from the silly apex uh, villain calling him a uh, monkey all the time that got painful, you know, cause she says it so many times in like the space of 20 minutes and you think, okay, I get it. You think you're above all this. Can we yeah. please move on? <laughs> and she was, um, she was a poorly written. I didn't like her character, uh, and not just because she's a yeah. bad guy, but but it's like I like uh, the, the antagonist, the human antagonist here. Also, just their motivations weren't what, clear what, cut enough. What for motivations? Me. Yeah, what, what, I just uh, I built well, Mexico to look. Why? I, I um. think, well, I think like I, I watched the film again last night with my son Theo. I think the motivations are well. It, it clearly, I mean, they state it pretty expositionally that humans need to be the apex of of mankind or or of the world again of earth right like that's their sort of goal is to not let the titans rule the world humanity should be in the king's seat (laughs) um like kong and godzilla tried to get to but yeah it's not. It's never developed, it's, yeah, and, and I wish it. I wish it were because it, it has potential, um, but we don't like, see it. Like and uh, right, the, here's the thing. So in Godzilla: King of the Monsters, one of the things I found really lacking was character motivation, because you have Vera Farmiga's Emma Russell deciding that she's going to help in releasing all the monsters because she's grief stricken that her son was killed five years prior yeah and you think right so you're quite happy to let billions of sons worldwide die in the ensuing panic but all right fair enough and i didn't think that was particularly compelling and yet that is still somehow more of a developed motivation than the apex fellas for their reason why they want to have a mecha godzilla yeah it's it's right 
<laughs> and then, and then, um, uh, right. So yeah, to get back to it, I think, you know, and then obviously Kong, you know, he gets called a monkey all the time. He gets dragged <laughs> across the world for what is actually no reason at all. And then he gets beaten half to death by Godzilla, who, as you were mentioning, no longer has a personality here. He just yeah. has anger. And that's, that's the thing. Um, uh, our, our mutual friend, uh, Faye, mm-hmm. uh, Faye Pasir, she posted a Twitter thread and she made a very good point about this doesn't feel like the same Godzilla from the last two movies. And I think she's spot on when she says that because this is not the stoic beast of Gareth Edwards' movie. This is not, you know, that very majestic creature. This is now just an angry man. <laughs> He's just angry and that's it. And I, I recently read that uh, in a recent podcast, uh, Adam Wingard apparently said something about how Toho had quite explicitly said they wanted an emotionless Godzilla. And I'm not quite sure that that's what we get in the film, because I no. think he is, he is still full of emotion, but it's just the one emotion, which is anger. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's a bit of a shame. Um, bringing that to kind of bringing it back to the son of Godzilla connection. Mm-hmm. Um Yes, I think you know you can draw a similarity in a in a very artificial, superficial, whatever surface level, I should say, um, way. In that Godzilla and Minya are main characters of that of Son of Godzilla, and Kong is a main character here. But I also would not discount the fabulous cast of Son of Godzilla. I think you've got great characters there, like. Uh, you know, Goromaki. Oh, Goromaki, he's wonderful. <laughs> Classic, and, yeah. <laughs> and Shinichi Sakazawa's screenplay is so good and so witty because um, you've got that great moment when, you know, <laughs> he's, he's uh, you know, washing out the, the, the roughage for the, uh, for the stew he's making. Uh-huh. And, you know, the other team member says, but, but he, <laughs> but Morio just washed his underwear in there. And you've got that great <laughs> moment where, not only do you have uh, Akira Kubo giving that great facial expression as he pulls up the leaves and he realizes what he's done, but then you've got that, br- and then it instantly cuts to Kenji Sahara taking his underwear off, yeah. and he has no idea what's happened. It's like those bits are great, and you know you've got Yoshio Tsuchiya giving a fabulous unhinged performance, and also a really interesting one because he develops as the movie goes on. You know, he starts off mm-hmm. as being, you know you know he's got practically cabin fever and he's you know ready to shoot someone and then by the end of the movie he's one of the the kind of the first to say right let's do this let's let's solve this problem yeah. so I, I wouldn't cast aside the 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 story or the the characters of son of godzilla in fact i'd love to ask you um obviously i've got my own ideas about what son of godzilla means um and the things i like about its story but i'd love to ask you just just kind of thinking about the story beats what do you think uh that movie is about you know what I, I grasp onto with Son of Godzilla is, is I love the relationship, despite it being flawed in some ways, between Godzilla and Minya. Uh, <laughs> I just think it's hilarious. Uh, to me, like, like we've got some slapstick moments there. Yeah. Uh, but then we also get that genuine moment at the end where the first, like, if you, if you can't connect to the characters, if you can't connect to Godzilla and Son of yeah. Godzilla as emotional carriers in this film, you're probably not going to feel anything at the end. But if you do, yeah. if you do, that moment really has some impact. And I think oh, it's, it's such a beautiful moment and it's so well shot. Um, yeah. So I, I, I really love son of Godzilla for that. 
the parts of Son of Godzilla that I'm not as thrilled on. I love Goromaki as a character. I'm not. I didn't buy the. I still don't really buy the the Goromaki and um. What's what's her name that that was her oh, his uh, romance? Uh, uh, Beverly Maida, who plays oh god, what's her name? Um, I know that I know. Scientist. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know who you're talking about. I, I've, again, I can remember the actor's name. I can't remember yeah. the. I'm, I'm name. not. Uh, I, I never really am huge into that their island romance. It, it feels a little bit forced to me. Um, but that's why I said like the champions cut of that film. Mm-hmm. Um, some of that is cut to, to streamline the the relationship stuff between Godzilla and Minya, which mm. I really liked. And the effects of of Godzilla or Son of Godzilla are just fantastic. Those, oh, those practical effects. You gotta love the the puppetry, um, the suits, everything about that I absolutely yeah. adore. And I'm just, I'm just giving a shout out to um Saramasa Arakawa who you know, who doesn't often get the the due praise that he he does because, like so many of the effects crew on these films, you know, he is somewhat overshadowed by Eiji Tsuburaya. And obviously, I yeah. absolutely think that Tsuburaya deserves the praise he gets. <laughs> but people like Saramasa Arakawa and Teriyoshi Nakano obviously deserve a huge amount of praise. And, and the stuff that Arakawa achieves in Son of Godzilla, just with like the Kamakuras alone, good lord, they're incredible, they're wonderful. Uh-huh. And I think in turn. That leads me on to kind of what I think Son of Godzilla is sort of getting at, which I think is is a is a movie about mankind's scientific hubris and trying to control the natural world. Now, it's somewhat undone by the way the movie ends because yeah. technically their scientific experiment is a success. Yeah. <laughs> but I but I do think that ultimately it's saying that don't tamper with the natural world because not only do they get, you know, you have the 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 abstract uh, kind of version of that happening with the monsters, but you have the very real version of it happening with the floods, the heavy rain, the heat. You yeah. know, very that things that are. I mean, hell, right now with you know climate change, we're seeing a hell of a lot more of, and <laughs> and so I think that, that you know, obviously, I, I'm not trying to say you have to read this movie this way because obviously hell reader response theory exists but uh, but you know this i think son of godzilla doesn't often get the credit that i think it deserves because i think it's and again part of it i think is because of minya unfortunately i I love minya i think minya is a great character i'll say that right now but i think that because for so many years he's been just thought of as oh well silly i don't watch godzilla movies for cute things i'm a edgy 12 year old boy come on i like manly things that's why i'm gonna watch gmk you know things like that um so actually i think son of godzilla is wonderful so i'm so sorry listeners we have really detoured into a completely different film yeah Yeah, no, we've we've we transitioned into praising Son of Godzilla. <laughs> no, it's okay. Let's get back to GVK, and I am going to force some positivity from your end, Chris, and, and get a couple <laughs> of our classic awards out of you uh, sure. about GVK. Alex and I will do this on our show, so I'm just going to leave these awards up to you. Um, coolest character award. Who would you give to the coolest character in in GVK? Well, it's going to go to Kong. Because I feel so sorry for him. He, <laughs> I think you know he. It's a, he is a very interesting character. I think sadly, as I said, underused mm-hmm. because of the way that the, the the narrative tries to juggle too many things at once. Yeah. But I do think that when we do get to spend time with him, 
he's a cool character and i like i said just feel sorry for the way he's treated yeah what about standout effect award i know you're not a huge cgi guy but any effects stand out to you um so it's it, it's probably the bit when godzilla swipes a fighter jet out of the air while he's underwater i thought that was quite cool yeah um you know, especially because again, those—it's those moments like in um, *Ebera Horror of the Deep* when you know the fighter jets try to attack Godzilla and Godzilla just wipes them out. I think those moments I always enjoy seeing because again, it just reinforces just how powerful and indestructible he is. Yeah, that that tail moment reminded me of. Not, it wasn't a water scene, but it reminds me a little bit of the tail scene in Mothra versus Godzilla, where we just get that tail coming out of the, the sand. Uh, yes, moment. Yes. It's just completely intimidating. Um, I love that that moment. Mm. Yeah, and so that's, that's a great standout effect award. Good call on that one. What about, oh, that's a good shot award? Um, so it's less a single shot because, uh, so it's from the Hong Kong battle sequence. And obviously there, there was quite a few, there are quite a few, um, shots that uh, go on for a while and encompass a lot of movement and action in them. So just a, a quick moment from one of those shots is is obviously when Kong rams his um, axe down Godzilla's throat in the throwback to the 62 film. I thought that was quite nice. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, hey, one other question for you, Chris. Thinking about the MonsterVerse in general, um, where it started, how it's progressed. Let's say the MonsterVerse does continue let's say the monster verse continues mm-hmm. um which it may now like i know this is supposed to be the last film but it looks like box office success um yeah kind of critic success in a sense um might continue the monster verse if the monster verse does continue what direction would you like to see it head in um or are you completely checked out at this point um to be honest i am pretty checked out um unfortunately uh obviously i i do want to 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 make clear you know i'm not going to rag on anybody who likes these movies you know i lo- know lots of people who liked king of the monsters and i wasn't a fan of that and i know people who like godzilla versus kong and you know i'm very much not a fan of that um but if they were going to make more i think i would want them to do something akin to skull island uh where Either you set it in the past, mm. so you don't have Monarch as this giant global organization. You, you know, you can have a bit more mystery surrounding things, uh, or you set it on, you know, in a, in a faraway location that's divorced from, you know, the wider stuff with Godzilla, Kong, Monarch, whatnot, and you have just one monster. And it's and it's just focused on them, so that you don't have to get tied up with, you know, kind of global implications. Uh, implications, and you can just kind of focus in and zero in on on just one monster, just one location, and hopefully that will allow the characters to flourish a bit more. I really, I really appreciated that about Skull Island. You know that now that you mention it, is not every film has to have these global implications we can have mm-hmm. a more intimate story about a monster that focuses in not that skull island has the most in-depth characters but it focuses in on one really can self-contained story arc um and, and plays with some ideas within that story arc um yes yeah, skull island is, is probably actually my favorite of the monsterverse films um but yeah i, I would like to see something like that as well mm-hmm. for sure yeah yeah absolutely 
Cool, man. So uh, where can people find you online? Do you have any uh, projects coming up that people should be aware of? <laughs> so uh, people can find me on Twitter at, um, at CF underscore, underscore Stewardson. Uh, and that's where obviously I'll be, I'll be sharing my uh, asinine opinions on movies all the time. Uh, and they can find me on Our Culture Mag, which is uh, the site that I deputy edit for. Uh, and that's where I post most of my articles, reviews and whatnot. Um, they can also find me on the Eureka Blu-rays for Mothra and the H-Man, uh, as I've got essays on both of those releases. Um, and they can also find me at, most recently on Clippist, which is a new uh, short film streaming platform, which I have a short film on called Mantis. Um, other than that, in terms of projects coming up, um, I do have a couple of things. Uh, I can't talk about them just yet, not necessarily because of NDAs or anything like that, but more because uh, I have things sent off that are waiting for potential approval and i don't want to <laughs> i don't nice. want to jinx them yeah. so yeah um yeah so hopefully i'll have some cool things to talk about in the coming months yeah we'll, we'll definitely have you on again soon hopefully we'll get you for something that you actually like <laughs> 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 to put it lightly uh, <laughs> as always you can follow us on twitter at mvm underscore pod we're on letterbox as well you can email us mvmpod at gmail.com leave us feedback at mvmpod.com and tell us how much you appreciate having people like Chris on the show. Uh, at Patreon, you can support us at patreon.com slash mvmpod. Uh, and if you feel so led, leave us a review on iTunes. Those reviews really help. Monsters vs. Men is produced by Alex Cornett. Executive producers are Faye Basier and Michael Herndon. Special thanks to our wives, Rock Band for PlayStation 3, Senor Honda, Drew the Collector, our Instagram connector, and you, the listener, for listening. Until next week, try to stay alive. Yeah. <laughs>